Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, I'm Annie Burke, and this is New Books in Film. As the character of Apollo Creed points out in the 1976 film Rocky, sentimental storytelling is not just very American, it's also very smart. But this combination of the sentimental, the smart, or the savvy, and the American could just as well refer to the sports movie genre itself. It's a complicated triangulation, but luckily we have here to walk us through it Dr. Grant Wiedenfeld, Associate Professor of Media and Culture at Sam Houston State University and author of the very smart Hollywood Sports Movies and the American Dream, published by Oxford University Press in May of this year. Grant, thank you for joining us. Annie, thanks for having me on. So I know you, but maybe not everyone listening does. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into film scholarship. Uh, I think I actually got into film scholarship from experimental film, strangely. Um, I grew up in the suburbs of Des Moines, which is about as generic as one could be. And... um, you know, naturally went to, to college to become an engineer. And uh, when I w- was there, I had a roommate who was making a horror movie for his Super 8 filmmaking class. He asked me to act in it. It was great. It was like, you know, the um, uh, chocolate syrup for the blood, all the effects. And I went to the screening and, I, and there I discovered experimental film and it, uh, it blew my mind. I was at the University of Colorado at Boulder where Stan Brackage and a lot of people around Stan Brackage um, were making and are making experimental films. Uh, so I love, yeah, I just love, it was just a discovery of art for me. I, I did a, went on to make it, do an MFA at Milwaukee. Um, but at, at, at that point, I decided I, my love of learning was maybe bigger than my love of making. And uh, so I decided to do a PhD in film and literature at Yale. So you sort of went from engineering to experimental film to literature and film. And now you, you're, this is your first monograph, and it is about the Hollywood sports movie. How did this particular 
book project originate? Did it begin in in your graduate program? Uh, kind of. Uh, I mean, they say that your first book is about your parents and kind of big picture. This is true. You know, I, I was reared on popular culture, sports fandom, watching movies. Uh, my my dad and my grandpa were both college basketball players. Um, you know, my grandpa was a, a high school basketball coach and teacher. I actually quote him in the in the um, chapter on the natural, uh, talking about the depression and uh, agricultural crisis. But um, so yes, it's it's about my background in that sense and. You know, I, I guess growing up and loving those movies as somewhat of a true blue American boy, uh, then you get to college and it's, there's all these questions that cultural studies poses that, you know, well, if I, you know, if, if I was in love with, uh, with uh, Stallone and Rambo and Rocky, does that, you know, does that make me sexist? Does that make me uh, fascist, uh, racist and all these things? And, and so, you know, asking those deep critical questions was um, I think what started to, to lead me toward this project. There were a couple of specific things, though, and that was um, my dissertation. I was reading, you know, about Mallarmé, a French poet, thinking about ritual, and that got me into civil religion in this direction. And there was um, there was a graduate conference on the global 1990s, and I, I did a paper on that Point Break, and that <laughs> I, I think that's what. That's what um, kind of planted the seed. That's right. So uh, Grant and I went to Yale together, so I know what he's talking about with the global 1990s. Um, now, the sort of the film program at Yale is very interdisciplinary, and your book is also very interdisciplinary, brings in a lot of uh, different kinds of scholarly voices from different fields. So you obviously, as you mentioned, the cultural studies piece, you see Stuart Hall makes a pre like makes an appearance in your book. Um, sociologist Jeffrey Alexander comes up a bunch, I'd say. And there's a lot of other voices that sort of contribute to your reading of the Hollywood sports movie um, in its relationship to liberalism, to civic religion, and we'll get into that in a moment. But I would say that your most important through line is probably critical theory, as you sort of position Adorno and other um, sort of major voices in the Frankfurt School and their assessment of mass culture, and you position it against Hannah Arendt and some of the concepts and ideas that she developed, not specifically about the sports film or even about um, Hollywood movies, but that apply in some very uh, provocative and important ways. Can you say a little bit more about sort of the Adorno and the Frankfurt critique of mass culture and what Arendt provides Arendt? Yeah, I mean, I think there's two kinds of studies that one can do. I could study a new object or study an old object in a new way. And, you know, my study of Hollywood movies is definitely in the latter category. People have studied sports movies before, uh, especially following critical theory school. Uh, you know, Aaron Baker, Sean Cross, and uh, Deborah Tudor to mention, uh, Viridiana Lieberman to mention a couple of examples of the monographs, and there's probably been hundreds of articles on Rocky. Uh, and, and so in reading, uh, in reading those, those works, uh, I got to think about, you know, how do we, how do we read uh, movies and, and what is kind of guiding, guiding our understanding. And I found that 
you know, Adorno and Horkheimer, this, the culture industry part of Dialectics of Enlightenment is a, is a key article that kind of represents a big school or a way of understanding what Hollywood is all about. Um, and a vulgar way of putting it is that it's, it's fake art. It's, uh, you know, represents the interests of the owner class and it's dumbing everyone down. Um, and what's that's rooted in is an economic perspective that the, it's the economics of the industry that um, is representing those interests. Uh, and, and that's true not only for looking at Hollywood movies, uh, but also at, you know, art cinema. You know, I know you had uh, Danny Fairfax on to talk about his book and, you know, the kind of Kaye school of, you know, cinema ideology criticism is, is also, I think, really following Adorno in this idea of, the, you know, to understand the, the art, you, it's depends upon the economic position of the work, who made it, the means of production and so forth. Now, Arendt... For me, uh, I, I came upon her as a different way of thinking about what is political that's not centered on the economy. You know, for her, uh, she's thinking about life in the city. Uh, you know, here's the civitas and, and where civic comes in, uh, which is really similar to the, you know, the polis. Um, and public life. Okay. It's a way of thinking about Hollywood that maybe we, we can bracket or put economics in the background, uh, which, is, uh, which goes against the grain of, of a lot of critical theory and cultural studies. Would you say that Adorno and some of the other uh, Frankfurt School, like another potential source of their discomfort with mass art had to do with sort of mass movements in general after experiences in with the third Reich, because when reading your work, I'm thinking that Arndt had a much more um, sort of optimistic or positive idea of what it means for there to be a sort of a collective mass action versus this kind of fear of people walking in literal lockstep that you get from some of the other Frankfurt authors. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think I think they're all traumatized by by you know the Third Reich. Uh, they just understand it in different ways. Uh, you know, I think I think uh, Horkheimer and Adorno they see the problem as the um, as the you know con- the control of the industry by by the you know kind of central central figures. Um, <clears throat> And, and it's all about kind of individual distancing from that uh, is, is the solution. Whereas when Arendt, and this is origins of totalitarianism, when she's trying to understand, like, how did things go so wrong? Uh, in fact, she sees it as the alienation of people from each other uh, and that they're kind of being put in into private, private kind of suspicion and, and this... This also is not only in Nazi Germany, but in, you know, kind of Stalinist uh, Soviet Union, this not being able to trust anyone, um, not be, you know, being able to express yourself in public. There's a, 
there's a lack of, you know, this is related, related to civil rights, uh, you know, from the American perspective, that there's, yeah, there's something positive for her about people gathering um, and that, that there's more optimism about what people can do as a mass. Um, it, it isn't necessarily grounded in critical uh, contemplative thought. Right. Was a rent that really gives birth to what you, your own sort of terminology or framing of the Hollywood sports movie as a kind of civic screen. Can you tell us about this term, the civic screen? And I am curious whether Arndt came first or the civic screen came first. Which one did you develop and what did you bring in to support the other? Yeah, uh, I'm glad you pointed that out. I mean, this this maybe could have been the title of the book that wasn't so obscure, Civic Screen. Um, in a way, it's just talking about the politics of cinema in a broader sense. I actually came to Arendt, um, not at the beginning of the project, but halfway through, uh, both in thinking about civil religion uh, and you know, Philip Gorski's book on the history of American civil religion is great here, uh, picking up on Robert Bella. And maybe I'll, yeah, maybe I'll talk a little about later how, where he talks about Arendt. And then also thinking, reading about multiculturalism came to find that, you know, Arendt and Charles Taylor are very key for the philosophy of uh, multiculturalism. And I'll just explain briefly what I think that is. And, and it's her idea of that, that come up in the human condition of plurality. Her big argument is that you can't think of an individual person. She uses the word man as existing. A man doesn't exist. Only men exist. Only people uh, as a collective. We're, you know, human beings are never... Um, not in relationship with other human beings. So this underlines for her why public life is so important and why, you know, the private and privatization is uh, a tragedy or a kind of deprivation if it goes on uh, too long. So uh, the importance for a rent of what the political is about is, is being in public in relation with other people and then being seen, action is the term that she uses. And, you know, through action or speech, you get recognized in your individual difference, uh, but only in relationship to, to others. So kind of this is a, you know, philosophical background on what, what it means to be human. And so, I'm, so what, I'm, what I'm trying to do is think about cinema and popular culture's role in public life in a different way through this. Uh, it has to do with imagined community and public opinion, um, the civil sphere, not necessarily centered. Yeah, I've already talked about, uh, you know, economics is in the background or bracketed. Uh, it's not necessarily focused on governance, which is usually what the political is about, uh, but can be a little bit broader in thinking about values uh, you know, how do movies tell the story of who we are and, you know, the particular people um, that are actors in um, us, our, whomever's community is watching these movies. 
Well, this idea of the, the shared values that these movies promote, I, I think a major sort of purpose point of your interpretations is to open up how these films that are typically treated as sort of facile blockbuster movies or, you know, like not having all of these currents running beneath have the potential to be interpreted in these very different or repurposed in these very different political ways. So particularly like uh, Rocky, which I just mentioned, but all these films that maybe have been traditionally thought of as um, Hollywood moving right, moving rightward, being more conservative, wanting to hold up certain heroes uh, and position others as villains uh, is uh, is really interrogated by your particular readings of the films, partic- the ones that you emphasize. And so, I mean, that is a, a key, a cornerstone of the cultural studies approach is to su- do this kind of reading against the grain, or in the case of feminist, queer, post-colonial kinds of readings is to recuperate what might initially seem like it is um, an oppressive text, but to find these like channels of liberation or possibility. Uh, so keeping in mind that this is an approach that really spans a lot of different kinds of cultural objects. What do you think is particular about the Hollywood sports movie that sort of cries out for this kind of uh, interpretive flexibility or like generates this kind of political, I don't want to say incoherence, that sounds critical, but this political multivalence? Good question. On the on the on the one hand, it there isn't anything so political, uh, anything so particular about sports movies that you know you can't you can't use this approach on other other genres or or other types of movies. I mean, in a way that the the reading of of Hollywood in this period as being rightward moving is is driven by the the economic focus that it's the, it's the economic expansion of hollywood that whatever values we might see on screen are in fact uh just a a veil for the deeper values of you know the 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 owner class in the industry um and so i'm you know i'm i'm not i i want to say that the there's there's some aspects of the sports movie in Hollywood in general that appear differently if you have a different idea of politics. Um, so that's a little that's kind of big picture what it's about. Specifically about this the sports genre though, what does it have to do with politics? Um, <clears throat> I think in fact it's that sport itself is a fiction. When you play a game, there's this imaginary space of lines, you know, lines on the field, this goal that you invent, uh, and this drama that's created. There's, uh, you know, there are winners and losers and suspense. Um, and, and it's so abstract. Michael Mandelbaum talks about this in his book, Meaning of Sports. It can kind of absorb all sorts of different meanings. You know, sports is not capitalist. Uh, you know, Soviet Union loves sports too. Uh, sports, sports can take on all kinds of different meanings. Uh, and in the, you know, from the 1970s to till today, when there there was a, a boom in sports movies in Hollywood, I think Hollywood took an interest in it because they're trying to work through, you know, what is the American dream today. Uh, what is American identity kind of post-Vietnam, uh, post-60s? 
and uh, unlike the you know the Western, which is which is based you know around kind of cowboys and Indians and the other and the land, sports movie is not attached in those ways. Uh, it's a little bit more open for for how you represent the nation uh, and. Sports are full of minorities, a lot of black people in sports. So, so it, you know, in dealing with questions like race, uh, the sports is a natural, was it was a natural place to do that, I think. Um, and then there's also the, the one other aspect, of course, these movies are not about sports in the end. They're all about the off, you know, what's happening off field. And it's the interplay between the two, which maybe is is what makes them interesting for thinking about um, the complex of meanings. There's the relationship between the you know the heroes and their their community, their lovers, and uh, you know the drama of whatever game they're playing and trying to win that game. It's funny. I was just talking to my dad, who's a big uh, baseball fan and baseball movie fan, and I was saying that. I never really thought of a league of their own as a sports movie because it's not really about sports. For me, it was about female friendship and, you know, patriotism. And I realized reading your book, most sports movies really aren't about the fiction of sports. They're not about the rules of the game necessarily. There are these opportunities to talk about these other cultural and communal formulations. Um, League of Their Own is one of the films that you talk about, is one of the case studies in your book. Can you just tell us what are the main films that you write about in this book? And I know the answer to that one, but I'll let you do it. And then maybe you can tell us if there's any that didn't quite make the cut, but that you wished you'd have more space to dedicate a chapter to, say. Yes, uh, I thought about a lot of movies uh, and ended up just choosing six to do kind of a deep dive into. And the, you know, the reason I, I, I took that approach uh, was uh, I wanted to say something original about these movies uh, and to, to really get close into them as, a, as works of art and, and to see all their complexities, all, you know, all these different possibilities of meanings in there. Um, <clears throat> Maybe it could also be good good for teaching too if you, if you want to watch one movie, assign a chapter on one movie. Although that that wasn't very, very <laughs> that, excerptable that book, listeners. It's a very excerptable <laughs> book. You can just pull one right out. Tell your library. Yeah. Oxford Scholarship Online. Just download that Rocky chapter. Oh, and yeah. decide, you know, you do, you want to do uh you know the the chapter on slap shot for a rust belt and uh, you know perfect and, and we'll talk about masculinity, but. Um, <clears throat> I mean, the idea was that in doing these, just a select number of movies that, you know, I'd be able to cover the themes uh, that would do the, um, it's really talking about America in the whole period and Hollywood in the whole period. Um, not, and it's not specifically tracing the genre and genre itself, you know, since, the study of the pragmatics of genre, you know, from Rick Altman and, um, you know, Jason uh, Mattel in, in television studies, you can't just, you know, it's, it's not so simple to just pick out what a genre is. It's, there's all these industrial questions. So, so it's really a study of America through the lens of these, of these movies, um, <clears throat> Rocky, Slapshot, The Natural, 
Whiteman Can't Jump, um, uh, League of Their Own, and Ali, uh, the uh, 2001 biopic with Will Smith. So, I th- you know, I think they cover, I think they cover the period and, and all the issues um, coherently. Things that are just, just outside it, uh, maybe chronologically, I, I actually wrote a, a book chapter on um, 42 and race. The, uh, there's this uh, Jackie Robinson movie starring Chadwick Boseman and um, Jesse Owens movie with Stefan James. It's a chapter in uh, a collection edited by Sean Crossan called Sport Film and National Culture. Uh, so that, I mean, that covers a little bit kind of the legacy of Ali and maybe the, there's the duality between kind of Christian uh, nationalism and multiculturalism and the, and uh, more atheistic side. Other movies that uh, are on the, I mean, I didn't talk about sexuality kind of because Hollywood doesn't talk about sexuality that much. Personal best and Battle of the Sexes uh, would be the would would be the movies there. Um, I did a conference paper on Bend It Like Beckham, but uh, well, that's not really a Hollywood movie. Uh, you know, there's some big ones like Mighty Ducks and Remember the Titans. Um, there's things those on do the, appear. It's not you do yeah. mention those for listeners. That there are a lot of uh, sports films mentioned in the book that don't get a full chapter. Uh, but I was curious about, you know, sort of which ones you wished you'd had the opportunity to spend more time with. But, you know, books are books are finite objects. Can't talk about all of them. I'm pretty happy with the ones that are in there. Uh, you know, it's more at things I, I actually just outside of it, like Forrest Gump, uh, you know, Top Gun. There's a little bit of sports in here, but uh, many interesting things about America. Absolutely. Um, so. Those are the main, but I thought we could sort of talk about them uh, all together uh, in this conversation rather than go through your book chronologically, which makes a lot of sense for the way that you forge your argument. But since this is more of a freewheeling enterprise, let's look at some of the themes. You end the book, I'm going to start at the end. You end a book with sort of a reiteration of five of the most of the themes that thread through all of these post-Vietnam sports movies. Uh, so multiculturalism, some of these are callbacked earlier in our conversation, multiculturalism, community, imperial legacy, liberalism, and civil religion. Uh, so let's start with multiculturalism and community. Uh, I was struck by your point that happy endings are not always a matter of victory. This is a quote, uh, or a paraphrase, I should say, but a matter of public happiness, um, and that is, I think, an important point to think of. It. We'll start with the endings because not every sports movie has a happy ending, but that doesn't or doesn't end with a victory, and it doesn't even necessarily have a happy ending. But how these films end obviously have great bearing on sort of what on their meaning, on their political uh, possibilities. So talk about this difference between victory and public happiness. Yeah. Uh, th- sometimes when you win, you lose. And sometimes when you lose, you win. Right. That's that's white men can't jump, everyone. Yeah, I, lo- I love that part of uh, white men can't jump. But Gloria, uh, the Rosie Perez character, has has this great speech um, about how it's all one big organic globule. Uh, 
versus these men's rules uh, of, you know, happiness is victory and success and money. Uh, well, not, not so much the case. The, Rosie um, Perez is the smartest person in every, every, she's the smartest character in pretty much everything I've ever seen her in. I always feel like her character gets it more than anybody else. Uh, and that's yeah, certainly and true. And she's a genius in this movie, right? Like yes. the, uh, trivia whiz. Foods that begin with Q. But yes, so she talks about the organic <laughs> globule that, that, that maybe as a woman, she understands that it's not always about the game win, that there's other forms of winning and losing. And this is to your point about public happiness and private romantic contentment too for her what is a quince yeah what is a quince <laughs> i this so i was trying to re, rethink this idea of the happy ending uh you know kind of the adorno versus a rent way and a has a whole chapter called public happiness in her book on revolution and she actually goes back to the chapter is called pursuit of happiness and it goes back to uh, the declaration of independence and interesting reading of this text because the classic triad uh, in the you know British world at this time would have been life, liberty, and property. And so usually, you know, the declaration declaration is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. People people would say, oh, Jefferson, you know, he, you know, pursuit of happiness. This is just kind of a euphemism for property and people's you know rights to have individual property and success. Uh, but but she pulls out a different aspect of the discourse where people talk about public happiness, like John Adams. Uh, I think it comes up in, in in other kind of Enlightenment thinkers. And the idea is that, again, human condition, the, the true nature of happiness is action. It's participating in civic life. It's participating in self-government. Uh, and so in this sense, like the happy ending is about belonging to the community and about being recognized as an individual uh, in that community to be seen. So this this fits very, very well, I think, with uh, kind of, you know, Aristotle's thinking about comedy versus drama, you know, the unity and comedy in the end and, and also the recognition of the individual. So you have all these happy, happy endings in these sports movies without victory. And this is the way that I interpret them. Rocky uh, doesn't win the, the fight in Rocky one against Apollo Creed. He does later. And those movies are a little more epic than comedy, but uh, that, you know, how is this a happy ending if he loses by decision and it, it isn't about, oh, the judges were wrong. Rocky should have won. No, um, it's that his, he's being recognized uh, both as an individual. Uh, all of his wounds are being recognized. It's like the struggle that he's gone through uh, is, is being witnessed. Uh, he's expressing who he is. He isn't holding it in in this kind of um, you know, classical masculine way. He's 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 expressing his his all his all of his emotion with uh, Adrian there, and he's becoming a representative of Philadelphia and you know, kind of working class Philadelphia that uh, that he's he's displaying um, and that he's becoming as the hero for for uh, the audience of the movie. So in a so, way, that, yeah. yeah, like the, the happiness is, is 
Um, you know, the, the multicultural aspect here is is the recognition of minorities uh, within the broader, broader community and recognition of that minority community. Um, and this is in contrast to the, you know, the imperial legacy, which is all about being the best. It's all about winning, um, being better than someone else. I, I like, I mean, I like imperial as a word better than monarchy or aristocracy because those often tie in bloodlines. But this, you know, the idea of empire is, you know, ruled by the best. Uh, meritocracy. Uh, this is this is the the tension that I'm trying to pull out here between the uh, you know kind of multicultural democratic side and uh, the imperial hierarchical side. Right. So, I mean. Rocky is a great sort of bridge between these conversations about multiculturalism and community into imperial legacy, because as you mentioned, some of these films by sort of trying to navigate racial disunity and disharmony in this moment, uh, obliquely discuss or even sort of make arguments for affirmative action. Um, and I think you sort of bring that out with the discussion between of between Apollo Creed and his team trying to find a heavyweight, you know, like a competitor. And he sort of does like the reverse of affirmative action in this particular moment, which is to like, you know, find a white hometown boy to compete against uh, very strategically scripting himself into sort of the antagonist in a way that the film is choosing not to do. Like, so he wants to like create this sentimental sort of story of maybe the word white resentment doesn't quite come in, but it's sort of, I think it's implied. Um, And then we see Apollo later in that final fight sequence, he, he makes a very spectacular entrance into the ring doing a kind of burlesque of American history and iconography in a way that's both sort of a loving tribute and also kind of a joke uh, at the same time. So I guess I wanted to talk about both of those things. I don't know if they can be done together, but first I'm interested in sort of um, these sports movies, which are not, you know, they are deeply political, but in other ways they're very, they try to leave open the possibility of multiple interpretations, different kinds of viewership, different politically oriented viewers. Um, But the kind of quiet defense or explanation of affirmative action seems to be a pretty, is is a pretty, um, political statement and I wanted to hear about how you how you draw that out of these films uh, but then I do want to move into more of the imperial legacy part of it too uh, because you sort of open with Rocky uh, the imperial legacy amid sort of um, the depressed working class community and then it comes up a lot more in in the case studies that follow yeah the the arc that I find overall uh, in in this period is that there's this gradual acceptance of multiculturalism and, and affirmative action, but that it doesn't it doesn't follow what I say would be a logic of justice, where you know the 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 most um, the most oppressed are the first ones integrated. In fact, it's the white minorities that appear first, uh, and then the you know the black black and uh, women and um, <clears throat> Hispanic. Uh, well, not not represented Hispanic or, or Asian in sports movies, unfortunately. But but that's the that's the kind of reverse 
within, within this progress, there's this kind of countercurrent uh, direction that it takes. And, <clears throat> you know, off of what it, what it really is a dichotomy or, or a between would be uh, in hiring the idea of being colorblind. And you just choose the best candidate. Again, here, the best candidate is like the imperial side um, versus, <clears throat> you know, choosing a qualified candidate, but, uh, you, you know, putting value uh, behind, uh, you know, representation and diversity and, and whatnot. So Rocky is interesting in this way because movies written by Stallone, but the how does Rocky get chosen to fight the champ? He's not a ranked contender. Um, he is in fact like just a qualified one who's who's chosen because it's going to be fought in Philadelphia. They want to, you know, wants to have a hometown snow, you know, snow white um, underdog to face him. So, so it's interesting that the movie is not being colorblind, it's, it's being very upfront about affirmative action, but doing it in all these reversed ways that both tap into the white resentment, which, you know, Daniel Lieb and others have picked up, picked up from uh, that time, but is also, you know, in the, in the long run, kind of softening up this idea of, um, or at the same time, opening, opening up the idea to something that's not just about the best. It's this American sentiment of giving the underdog a chance uh, that that plays into it too. Um, so that I mean that movie is pretty complicated. There, it's Gloria, you know, Gloria, the Rosie Perez character in White Men Camp Jump, is also interested in how I think she, her success, the way it's presented as a satire, is is also um, uh, it's without just representing affirmative action in a simple way, it's kind of using the, you know, the complexity of, of comedy to put it, put it out front and, and think about it uh, in ways that I think become then supported in, in later movies. Uh, well, this is the optimistic reading anyhow. Um, but the, yeah, I mean, the old, what I'm reading is the overall value of, you know, democracy being about including everyone, um, not just the winners, the, the the losers as well. And this is one of the truths about sports is that uh, there's a lot more losers than winners. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you.
Right. Uh, really, but the, really the community is man. strengthened by this. The community is strengthened through this upholding of multicultural um, incorporation. I think the the community of the of the basketball uh, of sort of basketball hustlers and white men can jump, but also. I mean, maybe it's a stretch to call Jeopardy a sport, but it does sort of the the scene in which Rosie Perez finally, after having wanted the whole film to be on Jeopardy, when she's finally uh, able to participate, she thinks that it's been sort of meritocratic realized, but it's not, it's not quite like she just abolishes, she just demolishes the competition. Um, yeah, and the, and the competition is like a, these these old white guys who are a rocket scientist and an English right. professor. <laughs> right. Some I was going to say some new books listen no, no new books network listeners no just kidding we you're all you're all Rosie Perez's to me um, exciting and new so thank you. Well, there's there's one more thing I want to say about the affirmative action which I, I don't really get in uh, uh, I don't want to get into too much but again this. Oftentimes, this kind of left-right dichotomy is between um, multiculturalism and uh, assimilation and, and color, you know, colorblind assimilation. And, and what I'm pulling out in this book is kind of a middle path uh, hyphenation is how Jeffrey Alexander um, theorizes it. And so kind of how I'm talking about there's, there's affirmative action in here, kind of. Uh, this is sort of the hyphenation, kind of the messy, messy mix that I think is where where the you know progressive democratic aspect of Hollywood, these Hollywood movies lie. They're they're obviously not you know uh, Puerto Rican, you know, a movie about a Puerto Rican, uh, New Yorkian, uh, Rosie Perez, made by a New Yorkian director. That would be the multicultural model. This is not that. Uh, but uh, I think it's different from the assimilation, too. Absolutely. Um, so this kind of the symbol or representative to move into this imperial legacy question, um, how the imperial sort of rec- um, haunts, runs through these films in contrast to sort of a more democratic or uh, democratic form of community and governance. Um, let's talk about the American flag. Uh, the, the American flag makes a lot of cameos in this movie, um, arguably some kind of proxy or surrogate civic screen because text is put over it. It's sort of in the background of important scenes. In the case of Rocky, it's becomes um, a kicky costume. Uh, can you sort of talk about the flag, the flag in whichever of these films or how they sort of resonate across the the examples you've chosen. Yeah. The old red, white, and blue. Mm-hmm. Um, of course it's, of course it's everywhere because these movies want it to be everywhere. You know, they're trying to, they're, they're transparently, I think making movies that are about America through the, you know, allegory of the characters that are in them. Um, and yeah, the flag sh- shows up in, in in different ways. It's uh, one of the ones that's most compelling to me, uh, as uh, as far as you know, sentimentally. Well, there's 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 two. For, first, it'd be League of Their Own, um, and it's not so centered on the flag, but this patriotic moment of the national anthem in it. A couple of these movies have national anthem scenes, and 
This one takes place during World War II. Uh, this all-women league. Uh, there's a there's a woman singing the national anthem. The women are arrayed on the field in the in a V pattern. Um, <clears throat> This kind of collective achievement. I mean, I, I, there's a, it's a certain kind of representation of a feminist America uh, that I think is striking, um, and something about the, I mean, something about this this movie that that I don't I don't think has been fully appreciated because, of course, the main character Dottie is not a good feminist. Uh, you know, Ver, Veridiana Lieberman talks about this in, in her book, and, and many have. I'm going to put air quotes around that. Not a good (laughs) thing. That's tricky. You have to get, you have to call in like, you know, we'd have, I was was going to say bell hooks, but RIP. We have to get like Roxanne Gay and and Taylor Swift in here to talk about that. But yes, she is not a second wave lean in career feminist. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Spoiler alert. You know, she, she decides not to quit playing baseball to, you know, go back with her husband and have babies. Uh, who will yeah, later this... become the president during an alien invasion. So mm. it's a kind of it's a kind of patriotic gesture <laughs> of sorts, right? Well, she doesn't play the wife in America in Independence Day, but yes. That's uh, funny. Played by Gina Davis is Dottie. Gina yeah. Davis, who's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean I mean kind of my whole reading about that film is that it's it's about convincing her that this collective achievement is good and that, you know, the um and honoring that that history and and and, and you know and ask this collective side of um, of feminist values that's that's very democratic and important uh, so 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 the you know the flag in that movie and how it's tied into also this patriotism of world war ii and being anti-fascist and kind of an image of america as a leader of democracy in the globe um, is is compelling the the se- the second one, um, which is related, it's not in a movie, but I talk about in the the conclusion quite a bit is uh, Colin Kaepernick in twenty sixteen in his kind of anthem protests uh, and how it's uh, you know he he's convinced by this by this veteran Nate Boyer to kneel rather than just sit indifferently during the anthem. And this kind of ritual of repentance, um, I, I think, is really compelling of this idea that the Stars and Stripes is not only about pride and being better than everyone else, this would be the imperial side, but also this sense of, you know, repentance uh, and mourning for, uh, in religious, civil religious terms, the sins of the past, uh, uh, slavery, racism, uh, empire being some of those. And it's this kind of potential that's um, this potential for patriotism that that is out there, uh, but not fully realized yet. So. Right. Well, it's also I think this this idea that the flag can be both a symbol of victory, but also rather than thinking about public happiness, it's sort of like public subjugation, which I think connects Colin Kaepernick's feeling that, you know, what has the flag, he's uh, taking a knee, not personal, obviously personal remorse or repentance, but like national or historical repentance. Um, And like that there's the image of the flag and slap shot 
at the toward the beginning that sort of happens in proximity to the discussion of the closing of the plant and like how the whole town will suffer. Uh, so it's interesting to me the way that the flag can be um, an occasion for this kind of, yeah, it's this critique. But then at other moments in the films, it, it's this moment of great triumph, like in um, A League of Their Own. There's a, they don't sort of bring in the, the flag at moments of sadness or, or problems. These are triumphant, but also kind of nostalgic. So I wonder if there's something to be said about the difference between the flag and how it's used in these historical backward looking films, like not backward film, to be clear, backward looking nostalgic films like a league of their own and the natural versus Slapshot or Rocky. And then Ali is kind of a tricky example because I think it's a biopic, but it isn't maybe, I, I think there's something very, because of your reading with Kaepernick, it's hard to see that as, it feels very contemporary by comparison, maybe because it's not as nostalgic as the others, as the other two, the baseball yeah. ones. Yeah, I mean, this is why, in, in, I, I mean, I think the the period this book covers is really talking about America up till today. And, and that movie still feels, still feels very, very present. Um, yeah, the, the, it's it's yeah it's hard to separate the 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 flag and what it's doing from kind of depictions of the nation overall but i i love the one the point that you brought out from the beginning of slapshot which opens with this yeah like you say this image of the flag at the moment that the plant is closing which is you know i i guess i usually i first read that as kind of a disgust with the flag and a disillusionment of America that that's being expressed by that. But I mean, maybe one could also see that the, the flag is standing in there and it's almost like the people who are being wounded by this. Uh, and yeah, it could, it, it can do a lot of different things as far as the, you know, the, the genre, the genres within the genre here um, is good insight. I hadn't thought about this, but it's true that, you know, the, the historical sports movies, biopics, those movies tend to be about honor and memorials to the past. And so they have a more positive view of the flag uh, and, and patriotism and, and the kind of values that they're trying to pick out um, and w- what is being honored and memorialized versus the um, contemporary comedies they're they're sort of social comedies about social problems and and the ambivalence of those problems is reflected in in the flag there uh in that one from slapshot there's also one appearance in white men can't jump at the beginning uh that i love the flag is just in the background but there you know the the uh white character billy hoyle is out there hustling sydney um and he's pretending to be innocent. This is the, I love this idea of a critical view of the flag and of neutrality as this sort of sham neutrality that is in fact, uh, you know, there's a white privilege there that's being identified. I think, I mean, I also think that possibly that Vietnam dividing line that you draw in the book might have something to do with it. Sort of what is imperial, what is the imperial present uh, imperial america what does it look like before and after vietnam so rocky and slapshot are looking at 
a different what the sort of the arrival of Amer- the American flag and the planting of the American flag means something different in the 70s. And it does like looking backwards at World War Two and looking back at sort of the New Deal. Um, but I think that regardless of whether we're looking at historical films or present films, these last two themes that you draw out, liberalism and civil religion, civic religion, or no, civil religion, am I right? Civil religion, not civic. Civil religion, right, um, are present in all of them. And it's a kind of structuring tension between the emphasis on the individual freedoms, individual success of liberalism, winning, you know, this sham neutrality. You know, like whether you're going to be a hustler, whether you're going to actually be in good faith working on a team, if you um, are, you know, going to advance your own financial interests or whether you're going to sell the team and take the loss. Um, And then you have that positioned against civil religion, which is more communally oriented, involves kind of like collective rituals. Um, And these two are put in tension to kind of ask I'm taking this from T.M. Scanton. It's Scanlon in the good place. Like, what do we owe to each other? Um, so in reconciling these, we think of the sports movie as doing it, or, and by say we, I mean other scholars have sort of, and critics, frankly, think about sports movies are pro-friendship and they're anti-other guy, you know, foreigner or something. Um, but you draw out these other sort of supports and these other, um, enemies in the sports film. So one of them is romantic love, which is usually not the focus of a sports movie, but is actually quite central to these questions about public happiness, individual liberalism, and sort of civil religion. Um, and also capitalism and the free market, like where money comes into this. Um, so can you talk a little bit about love and money? <laughs> in sports movie? Yes, love and money. Um, love of money. Yeah. Ooh. Well, how you know? You can Holly- take it Hollywood one at a movies. time, or you can talk <laughs> about them together. Yeah. Love and money in Hollywood movies, and in, in a sentence, yeah. boy, that's that's big there. <laughs> I'll give you two sentences. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, um, as far as you know, talking about empire in the sports movies, rock. Usually, usually, empire we think of as you know the native versus the foreign. Um, and, and this, you know, this conflict in, in Vietnam that you brought out, brought out Rocky four, uh, it would be the prototypical example here of, uh, you know, Drago, the, the foreign Soviet, uh, versus, you know, Rocky, the native one, but, um, which is, uh, always a funny movie because in fact, in order, in order, his, his training there happens by going to uh, you know, Siberia and integrating himself, uh, which, which plays, plays with that kind of foreign and native thing in an interesting way. Um, I'm making a face because clearly I haven't made it to that Rocky yet. I'm like, what? (laughs) Where? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He he has to become like a truly native Russian, uh, to, in order, in order to win. So there, yeah, there, (laughs) Stallone always plays with these, with these reversals, um, Although clearly the movie is is uh, is Cold War propaganda, uh, the the aspect of imperialism that I'm talking about though is maybe more abstract. It's about this this hierarchy, uh, meritocracy or aristocracy, uh, the rule by the best, being the best, um, and that that is 
that is the kind of men's rules, as um, Billy calls it in White Men Can't Jump, of the market of capitalism. Uh, you know, Sydney says it's, uh, I'm not quite, I can't remember exactly what he says, but basically it's, you, you know, you're either hustle somebody else or you get hustled. It's, it's this kind of Darwinistic, social Darwinistic world. Um, I think that's the, that's the aspect of empire that is criticized in these, in these films and in this period in a subtle way, criticized in this movie in that hustling doesn't work out for them. They, they end up being hustled in the end. It's just a world of deceiving everyone else and being exploited, uh, and they find themselves exploited. So... <clears throat> You know, Billy's gambling addiction that he just wants to play one more game to win back what he had lost before. Uh, this is in conflict with, um, you know, the romantic love that he has for um, Gloria. And, you know, so in this sense, love gets associated not so much with uh, the fantasy of success, but in you know, a much more 40s way of settling down for a regular job and, you know, valuing the relationships that you have with your community and with other people that um, this is the, this is the aspect, you know, I think that's redemptive for love uh, here and is resisting um, the men's rules of winning uh, capitalism being the best. Uh, it's just about money. So it is, there's, I do see this love versus money uh, theme going on in White Men Can't Jump. And love, it seems like, at least in that film, love is, I think it's some of the other examples too, but it's, it's, it's exempt from not only like capitalism and the market and money, like when it's done right, it's, it's isolated from that insofar as um, you can't be hustled if you listen to your, like you, if you listen to your woman, you cannot be hustled. And at the end of White Man Can't Jump, um, when Billy has lost his girlfriend, his Sydney's like, you, you, what did I tell you? Always have to listen to the woman. And he's like, but I listened to you. He's like, you shouldn't have listened to me. I told you to always listen. So like, even though they have the friendship, that's sort of like that Casablanca, like this is like in, in lieu of the romance, we're going to have this like very strong, male friendship still you get the sense that like he should have listened to gloria and like even the man who told him not to listen to gloria knew he shouldn't have listened to me because that relationship is the one that would have maybe been absolutely free of they you know no hustling it's always billy's fault anyway but that sense of always listened to the woman i don't know how many of those that goes into the other films but certainly rocky's vulnerability with adrian um, this sort of, I don't know, heavenly, like seem, seemingly like supernatural, almost like love story in the natural always seems like love is this special protective space or something. Yeah. Now, now that we're talking about it, it, it comes to, it, that seems to, to map upon the parallel plots of the on-field plot and the off-field plot. You know, it's, it's all about the ambition on the field trying to win versus uh, the relationships off the field. And this is where the love happens. Uh, it, so you don't, you don't get the falling in love as part of the ambition and trying to marry someone rich. Uh, that, that doesn't appear um, 
well, at least in the in the films that I'm talking about, you know, The Natural is a good example of this. You know, the femme fatale versus the, you know, the the girlfriend from back home. Right. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, I guess like a lot of the examples that you've looked at also are pretty critical of sort of money in sports. That's sort of the other piece of it, that that's something also that is separate from the game. It's separate from the sport, but in a, in a much more toxic way compared to like the love that the love and the romance that, you know, allow them to be their best competitors without bringing that spirit of competition or hustling back into the relationship. So which one do you think is like sort of the most, I don't want, maybe anti-capitalist sounds too strong, but I think it's, it's an interesting question in the context of how these films were really made to make money. Um, they're designed, they're blockbuster sports films meant to, dis, you know, appeal to the whole family, but, and, and to make money. And yet they're not entirely on board with the system that made them. Yeah. Uh, I actually, as we're talking about it now, I, you know, I think about the, the boxy movie has, has had these themes, um, you know, from, from most of its, of its history, there's the, um, thirties one, uh, it's called, uh, can, the name the, escapes the me. The Norwegian one? The Norwegian one you talked no, about? No, that's New, Newt, Newt Rock and the All-American. That's the, the, um, this is this isn't about an Italian, and oh. he's uh, he plays violin, but then he wants to go he wants to go to the city and become a rich fighter and, is and marry this Golden this, Boy. Golden Boy, thank you. Yeah, yeah, Golden Boy. Yeah, that that the, that that theme is there and there. I think you know it's in Body and Soul. It's in um, um, it's in a lot of places. So I'd be mean, probably Ali picking up on that tradition um, and and. Yeah, there's 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 a lot of writing about the boxing film actually a couple a couple of new really, really good books about that, um, but uh, the yeah Al, Ali is yeah this this figure he's this hero for the oppressed and there's a there's a class element to it um, that's kind of latent there. I think the, the the you know the clear play around play around with money is in white men can't jump, but um, the moral aspect of it comes out in the natural. The uh, yeah, each each one of the each one of these movies gets gets at a different angle of it. It feels like, and you know the the corporate neoliberal aspect and in in slap shot. Okay, I'll stop. <laughs> yeah, the slap, no, the slap shot one is I think what stuck with me the most. I was curious what stuck with you, but the idea that. This is just a, this is just a spoiler podcast, but um, that the owner is going to sell the team whether or not they win because she's not going to sell the team. She's going to close the team because she'll make more money than selling it, regardless of how well the team does. Feels like a real maybe it's too strong to say a, a, a real indictment, but it's a it, to me it's a real indictment of like how meaningless sports can become when money get involved when money is involved. Because it doesn't matter if they how they do anymore. They like um, a, in a lot of you know maybe less critical, less sort of political sports movies. The the plot would be like if you do well, like this kind of 
pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Ideally, if they win, then they can stay, and if they lose, then they'll be closed or they'll be relegated or they'll be then lose their endorsement. But in this, it doesn't matter how they're doing. Like it's completely separate from the livelihood of the team. Um, not so different than what's happening. No matter how well they work, no matter how hard the people at the plant work, it actually has nothing to do with the quality of their job of their job performance. Um, so why? Why work so hard? Um, what are we working for? Uh, if, there, if there's absolutely no connection between performance and ambition and hard work and, and actual outcome. Uh, yeah, so which is, which is usually, dark. yeah, yeah. I, From I, a pretty I love silly this movie, movie in a lot of ways, no offense to Slapshot, but it's a pretty <laughs> silly movie. Like 90% of it is just silly. Uh, I yeah, the handsome, and, handsome and, brothers and epitomize gross. that. And then, and hard to, and, and violent. Um, but then other parts of it are pretty haunting, I think, and that was one that scene. Yeah, be, yeah, because usually, I mean, the you know the sort of uh, easy, uh, you know, right wing criticism of you know socialism and communism be like, oh, you know, nobody works hard there because uh, you know we have to have a capitalist system where if you work hard, you you know, then then that's just aligns with all the moral values and everything. Well, the great thing about this, you know, this movie is pointing out how in this kind of finance capitalism, uh, you know, working hard isn't going to result in them saving the team at all. It's um, or even ingenuity turning their their hockey team into like a like a fight club for pay. Like, you know, that that no matter what sort of, you know, enterprising attitude they bring to it has absolutely no bearing in this finance capitalist. Yeah. Well, speaking yeah. of speaking of Fight Club, that, that does take it to the next level. Too. Yeah. There um, you go. Um, I want to ask you one more thing, and it's about sort of to dig into the uh, civil religion part a little bit longer. I'm going to quote you back to you. So steal yourself. Um, the sacred feeling of civil religion is evident in the richness of these Hollywood sports movies as artworks. Their intricate construction amounts to more than mere commercial products. So I'm going to end on a little bit of a sentimental note, as I know that you, this is this is as all academic books are. You point out it's about you, about your family, and it's about your your you know what speaks to you. So that's very smart. Um, can you just flag or highlight one of the moments from one of the films in your book that you feel like really exemplifies the kind of the sacred possibilities of the sports movie? Yeah, and here thinking about sacredness in terms of civil religion, it's like the you know religion of the state of the of the community. What kind of ceremony we have together? The, I can't do one, but I could give two that two that really jump out to me. First, of course, is the training montage in Rocky, um, and and why I think it's so special is because it's not about hard work. And, and the whole chapter is about this. He's he's not a bootstrapping individual. If you look at it closely, it's collective joy that's represented. There's actually a great book by Barbara Ehrenreich on on collective joy, where I take some of this. And that, you know, when he's this moment of training, he runs through every part of Philadelphia, and he is in fact becoming like the hero of the city, the representative of the city. He's he's not running. You know, it isn't about winning this day. It's just like the fun and joy of exercise and and running around and and connecting with other people. And this guy tosses him the orange, and people see him. Uh, I love that moment. And then the second one, um, 
if that's joy, then, you know, the good counterpart would be the, the climax of Ali. After he wins the rumble in the jungle, there's this uh, kind of a montage moment where the music comes in and it's, it feels sacred because the whole meaning of his victory is about has been set up that in in fact he's representing the oppressed and the you know the beating he takes in uh this uh, the rope dope strategy is you know it it represents the beating that all the you know the people of Zaire, as it was known at the time, are taking the you know the people of uh, of Africa, of the global South, um, of everyone oppressed. It, it's so it's it's the sacred moment because it's it's both a victory, but it's kind of bittersweet, uh, knowing that all you know <laughs> oppression is not has not simply been you know overcome uh, in a stroke of uh, of his punch there in in knocking out George Foreman. There's uh we we know that the you know oppression is going to continue and that ali himself it's bittersweet because ali personally we know that this was maybe the height of his career and he, and and he's the beating that he's taking is going to lead him to have parkinson's um and and yeah there's that kind of monument to his legacy um that for me it really comes together and in that moment of the movie and there's kind of possibilities for what it could represent and the hope, but then also the sort of the reality that we know is, is following from it. Those are, those are two very powerful moments. Uh, thank you for presenting them for us. Uh, as we close, uh, do you have any upcoming events for this book, any upcoming or current research projects you want to plug here? They um, just want people to be, keep an eye out for you and the, set up a Google or find out what's going on with Grant Liebenfeld. Yeah, I'm going to be doing a, um, a, a talk on the book at the American Studies Association um, with uh, Jen McLaren and, and her book on uh, uh, women MMA fighters. Uh, so yeah, come to that if you're into American that? Studies. That's what in Louisiana. Louisiana, okay. In New Orleans at the beginning of, um, of November. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, uh, I'm also going back to work on literature, kind of Flaubert and the aesthetics of punctuation. So, uh, you know, only wait another five so, years uh, yeah. and that'll come back. <laughs> <laughs> but in the meantime, I'm actually going to be in New Orleans for another event, um, more related to sports at, at NCA, the National Communication Association, in a panel on, uh, transgender, uh, athletes and, you know, very hot button issue right now. And I'm presenting a, um, you know, paper. I think I have, I've, I have a policy proposal for a, you know, new kind of policy in in sports that I think um, can represent what the, you know, Olympics came out in in uh, IOC in last November, a new framework on fairness, inclusion, and non discrimination. Which is a different way of thinking about you know how you how you decide who gets to participate in sports that's not necessarily based on hormone levels uh, and whatnot. So this is a, this is a, yeah a really hot button issue. That's Love to really, talk to people about it. That's really it. important. Uh, so that's all great. So in other words, 
check out, go see Dr. Whedon's Felt Speak at ASA and NCA, both in New Orleans this fall. Is that right? This fall, different times this fall. Um, start reading Flaubert now. Might take you a while, so start it now, listeners. Um, and please purchase a copy or encourage your library to purchase a copy of Hollywood Sports Movies in the American Dream from Oxford University Press. Grant, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me on, Annie, and for taking the time. <laughs> it was great. Thank you. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. See you next time.